Thanks for listening to the 242 Young Adults Podcast with Pastor Justin Corkum. Our prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to your life in Christ. All right, if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Luke, book of Luke, chapter 10, we're going to be uh, jumping in. Last week we talked about, or last week, last service, we talked about what it means to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. And so we're going to dive into a, a similar account. It's actually uh, in a different um, gospel. Instead of Matthew, we're in Luke this, uh, this evening. But it's the same, same account. It'll feel very familiar because uh, it is it's the same kind of scenario that Luke is now accounting. Um, and so when you look at the verse 25 of chapter 10, I'm going to jump in. And we're going to still be parking on the idea of love. Right? So we talked about loving God, but now we're going to, we're going to dive in a little bit uh, deeper, maybe hit a little closer to home for all of us tonight. And, uh, and we're going to start at verse 25 and read to 37. And it says this. If you want to throw it up on the screen, there we go. It says, uh, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levi also, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast or animal, whatever you prefer, probably a donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Lord, we just, uh, we want to give this evening to you. God, we ask that you would just speak to us through your word, that you would be glorified this evening. Uh, I don't want any of these words to be my own Holy Spirit. I just want you to, to just take control 
and that you would just minister to hearts. I pray for every heart in this room that it would be softened and ready to receive um, just through this passage of Scripture what the Holy Spirit would desire to speak to us uh, in our own walks uh, with you, O oh God. So we just ask that you would, you would just take tonight, God, and, and you would just use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. To give you a little bit of background here, just so that you kind of know what's, what's going on, Jesus is teaching, and, and a lawyer stands up. And so this lawyer is, is much different than maybe the lawyer that we would understand in today's sense. Um, instead of, of secular, uh, maybe being schooled in, in the secular realm of thought, um, this lawyer particularly was, was skilled and knowledgeable and not only knowledgeable, but passionate about uh, religious thought. And more specifically, uh, in the, the Torah, which would be the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right? And so this is uh, this guy's specialty, if you were. He, he knew a lot about, we'll, we'll call it the Bible, right? as it were, the Torah. And uh, he was not only knowledgeable, but he was expected to be knowledgeable. That was an expectation that, that everybody around there would have had um, about this guy who stands up and, and asks Jesus this question. And verse 25 says that he wanted to test Jesus. And oftentimes we think about this being a bitter like tests that he just didn't like Jesus and he's trying to, to embarrass him. And, you know, some scholars actually believe that that's what he was trying to do is get the upper hand, show that he knew more than Jesus. Um, but when you, when you look at just sort of the background here, he was an individual who was revered by his community, was a religious authority. And in Jewish culture, it was very normal for people who were of religious authority, for people who were, were grounded in the scriptures, when a new teacher, when a new rabbi was to kind of come to the scene, that they would put those people to the test to make sure that they knew what they were talking about. And so this is sort of the scenario uh, that we have here, is that this man who was probably well-known amongst the people, uh, well-known in regards to his knowledge of Scripture, well-respected, now stands up, and he puts Jesus to the test and says, Look, I just want to see if you know what you're talking about. And so Jesus is asked a question by this man. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, okay, teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him, and I love just, there's a book called The Genius of Jesus, uh, and it's really a phenomenal book because it really points to just how crazy, awesome, like Jesus was. But Jesus simply asks one question that completely flips the conversation. Instead of Jesus now being tested, he is now testing the person who was testing him. And he says to him, what do the scriptures say? You know the script. everybody here knows that you know the scriptures really well. You're asking me, how do, I, how, how do you get eternal? Well, you already know that answer. How do you do it? What does the scripture say? What does it mean to you? How do, how do you read it? And so 
he gives his answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor like yourself. There are some people who actually believe that this really wasn't the main question that he was, he was actually trying to ask. That the way that it was pitched, that he asked Jesus a question and sort of anticipated that Jesus would turn it around back on him so that he would give his answer so that he could really ask the question that he was desiring to ask Jesus. And after Jesus responds to him, after he says, love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Go and do likewise. The scripture says, wanting to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? Could you define that for me? Who is my neighbor? And so that's what we're really going to dive in tonight is looking at, one, what it means to be neighbor in regards to that passage of scripture. And then obviously kind of diving into the, the idea of, of love and taking this much deeper than, than just simply a love for the Lord, but now how our love for God has to produce a love for people around us. It has to do something more than just simply be sort of this vertical thing. It has to start reaching out and making a physical, tangible difference around us in the people that we know, the people that we interact with, our families, uh, our coworkers. Like, the love of God cannot just stay between you and God. It needs to go outward. And so we're going to go through that tonight. And so really, I, I want to I speak about how to love the one, right? We're in the middle of our series, Everything for the Sake of One. And we started by really driving home the fact that there needs to be a value in our hearts for just one person. Just one person coming to know God. There needs to be not only a value but a pursuit in our lives that we have to be running and pursuing after that one person. Just reaching, just every day, God, that one person that you might be placing in my path, that one individual that you would have cross paths with me today, God, let me be ready for it. God, let me be running after it. Make me be looking for it, aware of when you're bringing somebody across my path. To value people, to pursue reaching and loving people. My wife spoke about prayer and how prayer when we, when we pray powerfully, when we, when we walk in relationship with God, how it affects our prayers and how when we pray that there's power in our prayers and that when we interact with people, that God has equipped us to pray powerful prayers, to, to change people's situations, that it's not just some sort of you know, wishful prayer that you're tossing up and hoping that it gets past the ceiling, but it's... It's prayer that can move heaven. It's prayer that can see situations change. And like I said last week, we started diving into this concept of love. And, and so we're going to continue 
Now, refocusing. Obviously, we, we talked about how there needs to be that love for God, that foundational love for God. Obviously, you're not going to devote your entire life to, to helping people if, if, you, if you don't like, have that genuine love for, for God. Uh, most, most of what Scripture calls us to are things that aren't really in the natural, in our natural human minds, not things that we would really be inclined to do. One of those is what, what we're talking about tonight. So here we are. Let's dive in. Five things that we're hitting tonight in regards to how we can love the one. And I think it's important to recognize that there is a need for love. How many would say you already knew that coming in? Yeah, knew that. All right, so everybody knew that. So I'm just relaying information that you already know. But hopefully, as we just go through this, it'll just solidify in your heart and really take root. Jesus takes the time to paint a picture for the, for the group that he's speaking to about a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a, a pretty dangerous road, very steep descent through a desolate country. It's about 17 uh, miles, and it descends almost 3,000 feet. And this road was very much known for its danger, uh, specifically the fact that when you, when you travel down this road, you have to watch out for being robbed because it was because of how the road was set, uh, it was very easy for people to hide <clears throat> off the sides of the road and, and you know, robbers come in and attack and ambush people who are traveling. And so Jesus begins to set up this picture. And if you, if you brought it to modern day terms, Jesus would, would begin this way and say, there was a man traveling down a dark alley in Detroit, Michigan. Like, that's sort of like the picture that he's painting here. So everybody's sort of going, oh, crap. Something's about to happen. Like, the guy's walking down a dark alley in the middle of Detroit. Like, stuff is about to go down. So this is sort of where, where people are, are now being prepared, all right? They understand, okay, hey, if something, we're going somewhere with this thing. So he says that this man was beaten half dead, stripped of, of his possessions, of, of his valuables, and was abandoned and left to die. And I really began to just think about this, this guy. For me, any time that I read the Bible, I, I want to pull a, a life lesson or, or what can I learn Something. Sometimes we read through these parables. These parables are stories that convey a spiritual truth. And I see Jesus speak of this man who's beaten half dead, stripped of, of everything that was valuable to him, and abandoned. And I think about the people that we've been called to love that we've been called to reach. And I think about even just Ephesians 2, 
Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And I think about where I was before Christ came in, that I was dead in my trespasses. I was this guy beaten half dead in the middle of my road. That's where each and every one of us are when we don't have Christ. And there are people in our lives that are, that are in, they're dead in their transgressions. They're alive, but they're not really living. You know, I, I mean, how many, how many would know of people like that? You know of people that, that they're, they're alive, but they're not truly living. There's a song by Hillsong, Young and Free. It's called, uh, this, is, this is Living, This is Living Now. I think it's This is Living Now. That's what I wrote down. Could be, could be right, could be right. <laughs> I just want to read just a little bit of this song. It says, waking up knowing there's a reason. How many people wake up each and every day with, with no reason, no purpose? These are, these are your family members. These are, are your coworkers, your friends that wake up each day and not feeling that there's a reason. Waking up, knowing there's a reason. All my dreams come alive. Life is for living with you. I've made my decision. You lift me up. You fill my eyes with wonder. Forever young in, in, in your love, this freedom's untainted with you. No moment is wasted. See the sun now bursting through the clouds. Black and white turns the color all around. Everybody's singing it in their head for those who know it. Black and white turns the color all around. Yeah. All is new, and the Savior I'm found. This is living now. Okay, I'm done. But it's a pumping song. I mean, you cannot listen to that song and be like ready to go, you know? And I feel that, and for those that you've encountered Christ, you've encountered that purpose, you've encountered like his, his love, and now you wake up knowing that there is a reason for, for why you're here. Knowing there is a purpose. And there's people who don't wake up feeling that way. And why am I saying it this? Because we have a responsibility to meet those people. Recognizing there is a need that we have to meet. I think about just even stripped of value, abandoned. How many people that for so long, value has just been, I mean, if you could imagine it, just sort of like just pieces being torn off of a person and, and just feeling devalued, you know? There's so many people that go through that, but to, but to recognize, like, as you find Christ, it's like he, he begins to, to fill in all of those, people, uh, those pieces that have been torn away, the words that have been spoken, the things that people have accused you of or the things that people have said against you. And he begins to replace it with his word and you begin to recognize who you are. You begin to recognize what the scripture says about you and, and who you are in Christ and, and, and that value just returns. And I love that 
Ephesians 2 doesn't stop at you were once, you know, dead in your transgressions, but it, but it continues on in verse 4 and says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and, ra- and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <coughs> and that's the love that people need to experience. That's what we're here for, is to bring this message, the message of Christ, outside of these walls. That's what everything for the sake of one is all about. It's not just coming in here, like, getting all, like, pumped up and then just, you know, going out and doing things business as usual. But it's really about making our lives about others. There's a need for love. Second thing, and, and really the rest of these sort of, I think are going to paint a picture of what that love looks like. To say like, okay, yeah, I recognize there's a need for love. Like, yeah, I knew that coming in here. But what does it look like for me to love those people that God's placed in my life? And I actually changed this point. It's not love sees people, not problems. They're parameters. Love sees people, not problems. Because the, the story continues on. It begins with a need, but now we see two individuals come along. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, this is very important. We, you have to sort of understand the background here of why this priest and Levite passed on the other side. Because these are godly people. Why aren't the godly people doing anything about this man who just got like the tar beat out of him? And he's half dead laying there in the middle of the road and these guys just pass by on the other side. When we look at the background, we understand that since this guy was half dead, the priest would probably not have been able to be certain whether he was dead or not without touching him, without getting close enough to actually see if he was alive or not. But if he touched him and the man was in fact dead, then he would have incurred the ceremonial defilement of the, that the law forbade. All right, so in the law, it said that for a priest... He could not touch a dead individual. Uh, There's certain family exceptions, but he was not allowed to touch a dead individual or he would actually no longer be allowed to be a, a, a priest. And so you, you think about the parameters that were in place there. And if they actually... If they encountered them, they'd be unclean, but even more so than that, it was, it was an even bigger risk because they would, you know, lose their credentials in a sense. And 
sometimes you won't be able to help someone until you're willing to take a risk. Sometimes there's going to be a risk required from you in order to actually be effective, in order to actually make a difference in somebody's life. And I think there's really two major things that they just weren't willing to risk in order to help this individual. And the first one was just fear. Again, everybody knows this road is dangerous. What they saw was just a confirmation that this road is dangerous. I'm not going to stop and, and just, I mean, what if this is a, what if this is a trap? What if this is an ambush and they just beat the tar out of one of their guys and now he's like half dead and they're just waiting for me to come and like be the nice guy to help them out and they're all going to jump on me. You know, I think about fear. And there are going to be times when God places people in your life that are broken, that are in situations where you can see they're in need. And you're going to have an opportunity to do something about it. But there's going to be a fear that swells up within you, and you're going to begin saying, well, should I help this person? Because we've all been here. I, I guarantee you, it's probably already happened to most of you. Uh, should, I, should I help this person? Oh, man, well, what if, they really, what if they need it? Well, somebody else could probably help them out. Um, you know, I don't, I, don't have to do, I don't have to do that. <sighs> you know, what if, what if something else happened? Like, what if I help this guy out and then, like, this is a, it's a trap and blah, blah, blah. And we go through so many scenarios in our head on why we shouldn't help people. Instead of why we should. And, and that really was the second thing. That sometimes... You can't tell if a person is lifeless until you get close to them. You know, how many, how many know of those people that are just they're really good at pretending? And like you could shake their hand. Maybe a person you know that like on the outside was like bubbly and like they were always fun to be around. And, and you would have thought that they were the happiest person in the world, but you got to know them and you realized like there were so many things in their life that they just they were so discontent about. And there are going to be people in our lives that we're not truly going to be able to know if they're alive until we get close enough to them. When you look at another reason, I think selfishness came into play. They were just doing some research. They could have been exempt from it. They would have had means to justify their actions. Even if they, they did the whole like, oh, you broke the law, you weren't supposed to do that. If they did that, they, they, could, have been, they could have been justified because they were attempting to preserve human life. So they could, have, they could have helped him if they desired to. But instead of, instead of justifying why they did, they justified why they didn't instead. And I know I've been there. I don't know if you've been there. You justify why you didn't help somebody. Um, you make a good, good case for yourself. And, well, you know what? I, I, I probably, it would have been, they're probably just faking it anyway. 
and you justify why you don't help an individual. Look, the heart behind all of this is, is truly to see people, right? That we don't look at a person as, as a problem or, or an inconvenience or they're going to they're gonna bring me through something and it's going to be really obnoxious for me because I have to put up with it and, and, oh man, it's just such a pain. Because if that's our heart, then we totally miss the fact this is a human person who needs the love of Christ. Love sees a person always, never a problem. When you look at James, just want to read a small passage here. James 2, 14 to 17. You just want to jot down that. You can go back and maybe read it later. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister uh, who has no food or clothing, and you say to them, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and use- useless. James here is talking about our faith, and our faith in Christ, which is driven by our love, right? And he's saying, you, you can't tell me that, that you have faith in Christ and, and you can look at a person who's in need and you just go, hey, see, see a lot of stuff's going down. See, you got a lot, of, a lot of junk going on. Good luck with that. Adios. Stay warm. No, you don't have any clothes right now. Eat well, even though you have no food. You see this picture that he's painting? Our faith has to produce deeds. Like our faith has to produce fruit that is evident to other people. And it requires us getting involved. It requires us jumping in and being a part of the solution. We've got to get close enough to a person in order to know whether they're actually in need or not. We hope that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more about 242, you can email Pastor Justin at jcorkum at manchesterassembly.org. You can also tweet us at 242NH. Again, that's T-W-O-42-N-H. Or on Facebook, you can look us up under 242 Young Adults. We look forward to your feedback, and we'll see you next time.